0: Do you long to walk where Jesus walked, sail the Sea of Galilee, and sit under the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane? Then join me and Bible teacher Carol McLeod in Israel, March 27th through April 5th, 2023. We would love to have you. Find out more details at AngelaDonatio.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible teacher, author, and adventure junkie. Join me each week for compelling conversations with leading voices that encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together, we'll discover miracles in life's messy moments and make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. What do you do when you are suddenly navigating a life you didn't sign up for? Lisa Apollo understands that deeply. She's experienced the raw emotions and uncertainty that come when everything falls apart. Lisa went to bed married, and she woke up a widow and single mom to seven children. A former litigating attorney, Lisa now is a speaker, a writer, a Bible teacher who inspires women to cultivate faith in life's storms. So I want you to lean in for this powerful conversation about her story and her new book, Life Can Be Good Again. Lisa is going to help us find our footing when circumstances bring massive change, how to process our hard emotions with God who welcomes them, how to overcome paralyzing fear with scriptural steps, and how to anchor our faith when our hope seems threadbare. Welcome, Lisa. It's such an honor to host you here on the Make Life Matter podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Angela. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Well, you're making your life matter in so many different ways, but foremost to seven humans who call you mom. So I want you to just invite us into your story. We've shared just a little bit there in that introduction, but Lisa share a little bit about who you are and how you found yourself experiencing life in such unexpected change. Sure. So we were, ha- it was in the middle of the summer.
1: In fact, it was Father's Day weekend. And, mm. you know, it, I was a stay at home mom at that point. Um, so th- really thoroughly happy with where I was. We had. Life was not perfect by any stretch we had gone through parenting struggles and financial issues and marriage issues, um, but we had weathered them and I think if you had asked me you know that summer I would have said i'm I'm content and happy where I am at home with these kids and kind of the hub of the wheel at in my home um, on a very normal what I thought was a normal Friday morning I woke up it was still dark and I woke up to my husband's um, kind of strange breathing. And I really wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I was awake enough to reach out my arm and just kind of nudge him and say, it's just a nightmare. And I fully expected that he would turn over and we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a few hours. But I, um, as I woke more because he didn't turn over, he didn't, you know, stop that funny breathing. And I woke up more and flipped on the overhead light and could see immediately that something was very wrong (sighs) Um, began crying out to him, you know, can you hear me, you know, just did all the things I kind of went into, to management mode. We never know what we'll do when we're in a, we're in a tragedy yeah. and, you know, you kind of, it's two things going on at once. Part of your, my brain was saying, this cannot be happening. This is surreal. I, this, I am not giving CPR to the man. I just kissed good night last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of me was giving him CPR and trying desperately to do everything that I knew to do. Um, so the paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. They, I did not even get through two rounds of CPR and they were there. And I thought, okay, good. He, he's in good hands. I could hear some things, you know, they shushed me out of the room, but I could hear them in there giving, you know, treating him. And I, thought I heard some good signs hmm. and I thought, Oh, he's going to be, he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and realizes he has to most work today. Hmm. And um, they took him to the hospital and I followed, went in my own car, followed. And there um, in the emergency room, it wasn't long before a very kind ER doctor took me back to that room. You never want to go into, it was like, like a counseling room. You know, I wanted to go into the patient room and see him and, oh told me that they had worked on him for over 2 hours and they had never been able to revive him. Mm. And so that was it. Like life, life as i knew it, every part of it just shattered.
0: Mm. Lisa had he been ill or was this completely unexpected?
1: It was absolutely unexpected. There were, in fact, he and I had been away for the previous like three days on a business trip. I never got away with them because of seven kids. And, you know, at the time they were four years old to 19 years old. So it was a busy house. um, But I had gotten away. That's just God's providential hand, you know, honest to. To let us have that time together, but also just kind of reassure me as I looked back over the days, I had never seen anything out of the ordinary. So there was something going on. Had we known possibly it could have been treated, but we didn't. And so that was it.
0: I mean, literally your life completely changes in an instant. This is no on-ramp. This is no warning. This is no anything. And seven children... And I know this might even be too tender to talk about, but walk us through what that was like for the kids. I mean, there's just no warning. And, and before we talk about kind of the questions you had to walk through, you know, you got seven children at different ages. So I'm sure have different processing, not only skills, but just abilities to process this. How did you even navigate that? Lisa, as a mom, I only have two. How do you navigate handling the emotional spectrum of questions of seven different children at the same time?
1: I was not prepared for it. I mean, um, I, you know, sometimes we're thrust into these circumstances by a, by an overnight diagnosis or, a, you know, a spouse that says, I never loved you and walks out. There's a lot of ways we can be just kind of catapulted into circumstances we never saw coming. Yeah. Um, for me, I really became a student all over again of my children and of grief, and I was very naive about grief, but I, you know, I just needed to love them through it. I, knew, I did know this. I knew it was important for them to grieve the loss because if they did not grieve it now, then it could come back later. In a way that they we didn't want to see it resurface. Wow. And so it looked different for my four-year-old. Um, you know, they were all sleeping in my room for the first month, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but for my four-year-old, um, she would ask, you know, every day she would say, in the middle of just driving in, you know, the van, she'd say, I miss daddy, I miss daddy, and kind of break down. And mm. we had the same conversation well over a year. And I think she was just trying to understand the permanency of death. For my older ones, you know, it was different. Some of them would talk and speak out, you know, their emotions. Some I had to really keep the conversation open. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important for a parent to do is just keep an open conversation, whether you do that through reading books together or just saying, you know, you bringing it up and letting them enter that conversation as they're comfortable. That's a lie. but Yeah, we all grieved together.
0: Yeah. And the fact that you said you became a student of your children, as you're grieving yourself at the same time, you are loving seven children through this process. And, you know, my husband and I have pastored for about three decades. And what we've seen is that no two experiences are a life alike. It doesn't matter if you know death is coming and you are somewhat prepared or, it, or it, like you said, your cat, you're catapulted into this unexpected event And situation in your life, grief is not linear. It doesn't look the same. It's kind of like childbirth. It just is varying from person to person. And so holding space for others' people's grief experiences that look different than ours, and for you really having to do that with seven different people at the same time, in addition to yourself, that's extraordinary resilience that you are 10 years now from this life-changing moment in your life. I'm sure Lisa, in those days, weeks, months, and maybe even years to follow, you faced some, some hard questions. Those are questions of where were you God, or why did this happen? And and just so many things that you might have, have to rest the impossible questions, I'll call in like that really don't have the answers, but we ask them anyway in our pain. And I know God welcomes them. So how did you process your hard emotions that followed this with God? I, you know, I asked
1: what now that was a big question because mm. life, my future was a big blank, bleak whole. And honestly, if I even could have imagined what was in the, cause, you know, with the death of Dan was also the death of our dreams, mm. the rhythm in our home, our plans for the next week, just all of that gone. My expectations of what life would look like, you know, over the next year or five years. Um, but, you know, I also asked God, and I think this sometimes, you know, when we're in loss, it, Reveals where we have misplaced our hope. And mm. one of those that I did not even realize. I mean, I think I would have said I was trying to trust God with all of my heart, but you know, we had this large family. We didn't start out wanting it that way. We'd kind of, you know, God had led us there on a, on, on a journey. And I think I had this assumption that if God gave us these kids and I was, you know, older when I had my last two, that surely he would let us live to see them raised. Mm. And so there was a lot of questioning, like you know, I felt like my trust might look foolish to other people looking mm-hmm. at our family. Um, and I, you know, had to wrestle through that and realize very quickly there was no deal. God had not made that deal. He His call to trust Him for our family size was a call to trust Him, mm. not an outcome. But yeah, I think for the for the hard emotions, we need to understand that um, our emotions are. Not only safe with God, but safest with God, oh, and they may unsettle us. I know they unsettled me, and they probably unsettle the people around us. But they do not unsettle God. He knows them. He created us. He created our emotions, and so to take our emotions to Him. And I just began a process. It was kind of like an exchange every morning, and there was nothing that I pre-planned. It was li- really just a desperate girl mm-hmm. needing hope to make it through and to be able to show up for my kids. And so I would kind of get away in my minivan and just pour out my heart to God, pour out my questions to God, pour out my, my, my fears to God. And then I would kind of end with, but I trust you, Mm. but I trust you. And you're exactly right. They, all of those things, there's no answers to those questions. He's not going to give me his five-year plan when I'm Mm. fearful, but just laying at his at his feet and saying, but I trust you just was enough to give me the hope I needed to go back in and parent my kids. Mm,
0: That's so insightful. I don't even think we realize sometimes Lisa, that we have misplaced our hope until we have no choice, but to see that, you know, and we inadvertently or subconsciously even kind of make these you know, subconscious bargains with God. Okay. I'm doing this. So this is going to be the outcome. So I just find that to be very insightful. Also with your question, it wasn't so much looking back. Why did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. But it was what is happening next? That, that complete uncertainty about the future, which I think even if we haven't gone through exactly what you're experiencing, Lisa, so many have come through this season, the last two years and feel like, It's been so much uncertainty after uncertainty, after uncertainty. And what I love and what you just shared is you're encouraging us to let God into those emotions that we're feeling, not to hide them and to Mm -hmm. process our pain with Jesus. He's God with us. So he wants to be with us in our pain and not to get too far down the, the pike to just stay where he is in the process, because Yes, he doesn't give us a five-year plan. And and we will sometimes get ourselves so much more um, caught up in anxiety and worry and fear if we get too far ahead of just, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me in the next week? Thank you for sharing just how that process looked like for you. You know, Lisa, as you were finding these steps that you needed to move forward and what helped you to do that, I would love to know what encouragement you have for someone who's listening, saying, I cannot seem to find my footing. I have navigated this massive change. I'm thinking of someone very dear to me who is navigating a divorce. It's not what they wanted, but it is what they're navigating. And just the waves of emotion that come with that. When someone is struggling to find their footing, Lisa, what encouragement do you have for them?
1: When we're in a place of massive change, it feels like we don't have any control over any of that. Like all this is happening to us, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's the case, you know, it's somebody can do something like that to us where they, they walk out or we have circumstances that we would never choose, but we do have choices in those circumstances. And, you know, one of the ways that we can really anchor and find our footing again is to, um, just remember who God is. Yeah. And I don't re- mean that in a very trite way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that meant getting into scripture every day. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be reading through the Bible in a year. I actually wasn't doing that before, but Dan had been doing it with our church and I had been doing something else. So I was like, I'm already doing my own thing. Y'all do that. After Dan died, I picked up his journal and I just picked up where he was on that day. So we were, they were halfway oh. through the year. And it didn't matter if I was in Leviticus, it didn't matter if I was in Psalms, it didn't matter where I was in the Bible. I didn't go hunt up verses that would speak to me or tell me what I wanted to hear. God would meet me on the pages of scripture. Mm. It just became alive and it became my very food. I needed it really more than I needed my food. Mm. And I was just reminded every day of, of who he is. And um, how faithful he is in circumstance after circumstance and after circumstance for, you know, all kinds of people in the old and the new Testament, and then all of his promises. I mean, I began to just write these promises in my journal and keep a list of, of his promises and claim them. Some of them I needed for me and for, for my family, but that was, um, you know, a, a way that we can, that's a way that we can find our footing and began to, when everything is shifting around us, know that, that God hasn't changed, yeah,
0: and and it might sound trite for someone when we say the Scripture, but it it is. It's the le it's the living, breathing Word of God, and God has a way of imparting exactly what our hearts need to hear, what our spirit. Mm. It's, it's just like medicine. It's just going to heal us. It's going to sustain us. It's going to move us forward. So, if you're listening and and you're maybe a beginner to the Bible. Lisa just gave you one tool that you can use, and that's to dive in chronologically. I love to read the Bible that way. It helps you to kind of know the arc from Genesis to Revelation. It's one long love story from God to you. And when you're reading the Bible, a lot of times we think, well, what is it saying to me? And we, we do want to look for application. But what Lisa was just pointing out is first and foremost is what does this say about God? What is this passage telling me about the character of God, that he is fully trustworthy? He is the person he's going to love me more than anyone else. And as you said, Lisa, he is the safest. Not only is he our safe place, but he is the safest place. As you dove into scripture, you do share in your book. And it's such a great book, guys. I just want to make sure life can be good again. It came out about a month ago. If you are walking through a season of suffering or change, or you know someone who is, I cannot stress enough the power of the message. You can even hear just in this conversation, Lisa is rich with wisdom and with insight. She's going to sit next to you in this book, like like a seasoned friend who's going to walk you through your own time of suffering and change. And so Lisa, you have grounded your worth in the word. So share some scriptural steps that can help us overcome fear when we're facing even this question. Can life be good again?
1: Fear was huge for me. Mm-hmm. I you know, when something, when the bottom drops out, it really opens the door to all kinds of other fears. Because I think before I had had garden variety fear, Mm -hmm. you know, I imagined things happening, but when I really looked at it, it was always kind of far-fetched. And, but now like the far-fetched had actually happened. In fact, something that wasn't even on our radar had happened. And so these other things didn't seem so far-fetched and, you know, I had fear for my kids, their, their health. Um, I had fear for our finances. We were a one income family and that income was gone. Mm -hmm. I had fear for my children. I didn't know if they would act out. I had seen that happen in cases of grief where children just couldn't bear the weight of that loss. And I really worried about my kids. I worried about being able to single parent these boys, you know, without their six foot three dad to manhood. And it was really paralyzing me. I mean, it was becoming just a, a like a vice grip on my thoughts. It was, mm-hmm. it was keeping me from being able to make decisions. It was keeping me, um, from being able to move forward at all. And I was parenting out of fear Yeah. and I realized that in, you know, I was only really a couple months in when I realized that, and I was sitting over a coffee with a friend. She also has walked through something very hard. She has a chronic, um, diagnosis that is, um, continuing. So kind of, uh, and she said, I know this one. Mm-hmm. And she said, she gave me the verse, second Corinthians 10, five, where it tells us to take every thought captive to the truth of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that was the word I needed. It became very practical for me because when I would have a fear and it occurred all day throughout the day, mm-hmm. I would stop and I would, the first thing I would do is call out the lie under that fear. Cause all lies motivated by a, motivated by a fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, all fear is motivated, motivated by, by, lies, by a yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. And so call out that lie that's underneath it. And then, I would literally take it captive in my mind. I would think of like a lasso, just taking that out of my mind and being replaced with the truth of scripture, with the character of who God is or with one of his promises. And it, you know, the more I, it was clunky at first, I had to do it a lot because I was so overwhelmed by fear. But the more I did it, the more I realized fear didn't have such a stronghold on me. Mm. And I began to walk freer and there's, you know, it's just such a practical tool right there in scripture for us. Mm.
0: I love that word clunky. What an interesting word choice, because I think when we are trying to do these things that scripture tells us, Sometimes we give up quickly or thinking, well, something must be wrong with me because it's it's not coming natural or it's clunky. Mm -hmm. I think that's insightful, Lisa, for us, because we have to push past that place. That's not the place to stop. That's the place of learning something new. Think about a child learning to walk. How many times they fall or they're wobbling or it's awkward or it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel natural. But but Lisa is right. The more that you do it. You'll look back, and all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, I'm free from that lie. I'm free from that stronghold. Yeah. I I have a different perspective on this. And now you're looking at the future differently than what's next with, with fear. It can it can be filled with hope. What's what's next? What does life look like for me? And as you look at the landscape of what's in front of you, Lisa, I, I love that you said this in your book. And which is so much encouragement for us. Your unexpected future may feel like plan B, but it's God's purposeful chapter two for you as he reshapes your shattered heart. One of the things I love, I'm going to stop before I finish reading the quote. I think I've heard people say sometimes, well, then it was just plan a, well, I like the way you say it's chapter two. It's a new chapter that he's writing because that can sometimes feel like somehow God's plan A got messed up. No, it might feel like plan B, but God doesn't make any mistakes. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And so if we look at it as a purposeful chapter two, that's a very different frame to put around suffering, to put around adversity, to put around an unexpected situation, whether that's financial loss, whether that's relational devastation, like a dear friend of mine is walking through, whether it's what Lisa has been through of just tragic, unexpected loss. I thought of Job, as you were sharing earlier, Lisa, when he said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. Like we have these deep fears that we don't even hardly articulate. And yet It it came to pass in your life, and yet you're still standing, and you're strong, and you're resilient, and you're a testament to the character and the goodness of God. She goes on to say this, with each tender, intentional step, you'll see you will not merely survive this, but that life can be good again. So Lisa, in our final moments here, what is one more piece of encouragement you want to share for those that are looking to anchor their faith, when hope seems threadbare, or maybe they're recognizing for the first time, you know what? I think I have misplaced my hope. And now that I, that what I had my hope in is gone, I'm struggling to hold on to hope. Share what piece of advice you would have for people who now are looking forward at a future as now God's purposeful chapter two.
1: That was such a turning point for me, and it did not come early in my grief. I I would have to go back to my journals to look, but I was probably well into my second year of grief, which if anybody's gone through something hard, you know, it's not a one, you know, get through all the first milestones and you feel everything is, is good again. But I was well into my second year of grief, and I was kind of just, I think, having a conversation with the Lord, and I felt like I had gotten the leftovers, of the life that I wanted. And almost as soon as I admitted that, um, I didn't hear God say this in audible terms, but I certainly sensed this, that God has no plan B, that what was unexpected for me, God knew would come about. And he had not, he doesn't give any of us second best he doesn't give any of us the leftovers. He didn't over, you know, stop looking and miss something. And here I was living out, consigned to live out, you know, the rest of my life, this, what I didn't want. And the thing was, so that was a huge revelation to me that, that this was God's intentional chapter two. And as such, it has as much abundance as all the time before. And I didn't immediately feel that I didn't immediately feel, you know, all the uh, goodness and the abundance and the plans and the dreams and the fullness. But what it allowed me to do was to lean into that. And, and until my emotions caught up and until the processing of the grief caught up to the truth. And one day I realized, wow, I I woke up excited about this day. I didn't wake up with that blanket of despair that I've been carrying. Mm. And I began to have new dreams and a new bucket list even. And I realized that the truth was that God was walking me through. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I would just, if anybody is listening right now and you're saying that's good for you, but I, I don't feel it and I'm not there yet. I would tell you to just lean hard on the truth and let your emotions catch up to that.
0: That's so good, Lisa. And I have to just ask you, when you said that, I would love to know one thing that is on your new bucket list.
1: Well, I think travel is on my new bucket list, okay. which, you know, I mean, that might not sound too, too fun for anybody, but it's for the longest for me. time, it's exciting. I just, I know. I mean, you know, for the longest time, I kind of just stayed home. I felt very vulnerable, honestly, as a single mom with all my kids. And It was fine letting my kids go and do all their, you know, overseas mission trips and all these things. But I had all these children to take care of, and it felt very vulnerable. And. Um, three times I planned a trip. So we're in Florida. I planned a trip out west and, um, I canceled it twice. Mm. And the third time I was like, we're going to do this. And we got in the car and we drove cross country and I showed wow. my kids the Grand Canyon, which I'd enjoyed as a kid. And I realized that doing that, like overcoming that fear really kind of galvanized me to have courage to overcome other things. Mm. So yeah, that's definitely definitely one.
0: And would you encourage people to put something on their bucket list where in the grief process, would you say it's healthy to do that?
1: I think it's going to come naturally. Okay. I I would not force it because for a long time, I thought, why make a bucket list? If it's just going to get, you know, if it's just, it doesn't matter. Mine was shot, Hmm. but I think as you heal, That's actually a sign that you're healing, that God is walking you through these things. Mm -hmm. When God begins to plant new dreams, you, I would love to go to Israel. I've never been. I was going to ask God.
0: I'm going next spring. I'm like, I wonder if she's ever been. I would love to take you with me. Top of my list.
1: Top of my list. When
0: you said travel, the first thing I thought of is, I don't think she's ever been to Israel. Oh, Lisa. And I think that's, that is, whatever that is resonating for someone that was not on my notes to even ask Lisa tonight, but I feel like it's so it's a brave, bold step to reintroduce hope into our life. when we feel Mm. like what's the point, but for you to say, I'm going to, to say it's, it'll come naturally. We don't have to force it, but to also allow room for that, for God to say, it's time to dream again.
1: Mm -hmm. It's
0: time to imagine, what life can look like moving forward. It's, it's not that we're not honoring the past, but we are imagining a chapter two that's purposeful. purposeful. And as you said, Lisa, it can be filled with abundance. I love that. Mm. That's a life that's anchored to hope life can be good again. And that is the name of her new book. Lisa, how can people connect with you and get a copy of this book? It just came out And it's such a needed message for so many navigating any kind of change, struggling with feelings of suffering or starting again. How would you like for them to connect with you and get a copy?
1: They can connect with me at my site, which is lisaapolo.com. So two P's, one L and um, lisaapolo.com backslash life can be good. Again, you can find all about the book and it's really, it's available at your local bookstore, any online bookstore, you can find it
0: all the places, all the places, get a copy for you and get a copy for someone else guys that, you know, needs this hope and encouragement. And Lisa, it's not just other women that you're inspiring to make life matter. It's not just your seven children that you have mothered so beautifully, um, through this difficult season. But I want to know from, for you, other than Jesus, what person in the Bible has inspired you to make life matter? Who is that person in the Bible for you?
1: So, okay, person in the Bible. I I thought you were going to ask somebody not in the Bible. Oh no! So, I'm okay, sorry. I've got a couple not you in the Bible. me that
0: but... too. I would love to know that too,
1: out of curiosity. Well, so two not in the Bible: George Mueller okay. and um, Hudson Taylor. Two oh, yeah. two <sighs> men who just lived by. Faith. So true, um, and every time I read about them, it just renews my you know desire to, to trust God. Mm. But I think in the Word, I would have to say, um, oh, so many. I know it's. So I, mean, Paul, you... there, yeah. I mean, Paul. There, I mean, yeah. Paul. He just was a man also of bold courage who really mm. came at a quite a cost to him. Um, and he never flagged, never flagged in his faithfulness, mm-hmm. um, had that thorn, never resented it. Just said, this mm-hmm. is one more reason to delight and boast in what wow. you're doing through me and the strength that you're, that I see in you because of this
0: hardship. Wow. So, yeah, I can see why his life, I think his line in heaven will be very long, but for very good reason, because <laughs> not only is he such a prolific writer, we got a third of the new Testament, but like you said, just his grit, his determination, his resilience to keep going. And, you know, he even said at one point, listen, nobody stood at my side. I mean, I was doing this thing by myself, but God yeah. came and stood by my side. I'm getting emotional because I feel like there's times that we do feel like we're doing this thing alone. Even if you do have people around you, life can feel very lonely. And to just know that God is never going to leave us. He's never going to abandon us. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing surprises him. No amount of change unsettles him. That's the God that we're serving. And Lisa's going to pray for us in just a moment. Um, but before we do, I just want to share today's truth that matters. And and I always you know, really give this some thought guys of what scripture I feel like, because I haven't had the interview in conversation yet, but I want to pre-pick a scripture. And we've talked about a number of different scriptures. She mentioned one from Corinthians. She talked about the Psalms. We mentioned Job, but what kept coming to me, Lisa, as I was praying for this conversation is that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. I know that he has been your refuge Um, Mm -hmm. Over and over again. And so I just wanted to leave us with Psalm 144 verse two, he is my loving God. He is my fortress. He is my stronghold. He is my deliverer. He is my shield in whom I take refuge. That's the God that we can run to tonight. Wherever you find yourself in life, in a season of suffering, in a season of wanting to dream again, of realizing that you've misplaced your hope, whatever has has resonated deeply with you in this conversation, I just want to encourage you, pick up a copy of Life Can Be Good Again and know, know that life can be good again. God wants you to live in the abundance that Lisa talked about, the miracle of his grace, the miracle of his grace that Paul said, okay, then your grace is sufficient. God said, I'm not going to take the thorn, but I am going to give you my grace and my grace is going to be sufficient for you. Lisa, you're such a beautiful Testament of God's grace. I just want to thank you for choosing obedience over bitterness. And I just pray such blessing and favor over your life because of your choices. I pray favor and blessing over your children and the path that all of you have been unexpectedly pushed into. And the fact that you chose to pen it on paper, I pray that it's such, um, freedom for others. And I know what it's like to put your painful moments on paper. I know it's not easy. So I thank you for that step of obedience. And I pray that it's not only a a blessing to you, but a blessing to so many. So would you pray for us as we end this conversation?
1: I will. Father, thank you for being our refuge. Thank you that no matter what storm comes up, Lord, you are with us in it and that we don't walk alone all through your scripture. You tell us that we are not alone. Lord, your presence sustains us. You have provision for our every need. You have wisdom for every struggle, every decision we're making. Lord God, you, um, are our all in all. And I just thank you so much, Father, that um, even when you don't take away the thorn that we beg you to take away, Lord God, that you sustain us just generously. I thank you for the hope that we have in you, mm. that we aren't consigned to um, hard circumstances, Lord God, but that you bring joy right in the midst of them, that we can see your good hand in in details all around us and all for us. And that you do walk with us through the Valley, Lord God, that it's not a dead end Lord, but that we are walking with you. um, And that you do bring us to a place, Lord God, that you do set our feet on solid ground. You do pick us up out of the pit. You do rescue us because you delight in us. Mm -hmm. Lord, we love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and mind, our strength, Help us to love you more. Help us to honor you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at AngelaDenadio.com, Facebook at AngelaDenadioVOV and Instagram at AngelaDenadio. Until next week, Let's make life matter.